Welcome to uh, August. Wow, that happened really fast. Um, I've been looking forward to doing this sermon series for quite a while based on some things that have taken place in my life. Actually, over the last three months, I've been looking forward to doing this. Just the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? Let's have some difficult conversations. Let's, uh, let's get together and talk about something. What is the most difficult conversation that you have ever had? If, if, if I asked you that and you had to fill out a paper, what would it be? Those of you that are adults, would it be like, oh, I had to have the talk with one of my children. I mean, you know, is that a difficult conversation? Is, uh, is a difficult conversation uh, having a talk with that guy that wants to date your daughter? That was a difficult, you know what I mean? I made it difficult for them. It wasn't difficult for me. I had a blast. But is, is that a difficult conversation? Terminating somebody's employment, is that a difficult conversation? Our world is full of difficult conversations. And so over the next four weeks, I want to have difficult conversations, okay? Now, uh, I'm not looking for an opportunity to just rant for four weeks. That is not what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is the opportunity to put some stuff out here. It's going to be real teachy, okay? But to put some things out here and just say, I want you to continue to wrestle with this because I'm wrestling with it. And I want us to continue to deal with it because I'm dealing with it. And I want to understand that in the times that we're in, we're making the most that we possibly can. But that doesn't mean we have to stop growing. It doesn't mean we have to stop going. And so we're going to continue to do this. And, and we're going to lay some foundation today. So what I want to do today is I want to lay a foundation today because I'm going to keep pointing back to this over the next three weeks after this one, okay? I'm going to say, remember I said... Remember, um, you know, the, the, the first week in um, August, that's what we talked about in church. This is what we did. And so we're going to lay some, um, some foundation here, okay? Um, and so when, when you're not here, you're, gonna, you're not online, you're going to, I hope, continue to, to process and think about this. But I want to talk about, um, because we're coming out of or we're in the middle of, whatever you want to call it, um, the situation that we are, the circumstances that we are in our nation, and in our, in our state specifically, I want to talk about the idea of what does it mean or what does it take for us to be the church. A little bit like last Sunday, but I want to get a little more difficult, okay? Um, and, and so I, I know sooner or later I'm going to offend you, okay? Sooner or later this month, it's not my goal to say, let's see how mean I can be. That is not my goal. But sooner or later, we're just going to talk about some stuff, and, and it's going to be out there, and we just kind of have to deal with it. And I want to talk about this. You know, we're in a time right now where people are saying, what does church even look like? Um, when I was talking with the staff about, you know, us coming back in July and then um, how we were going to continue to move forward and then concerned a couple of weeks ago or last week about what was being said, it's like, what, what is it going to mean for us to be the church during these times? Do we get together? Do we not get together? Um, and listen, I certainly, you know, we've invested, you know, people are wondering where I am on, on this COVID if they haven't been aware. But um, I believe in you that are not here so much that we, we invested $40,000 in you being able to be here. That's what all of our live streaming costs us. And I want to thank those of you that gave extra to see that this takes place so that this could happen for people that are out there. And it's kind of fun because um, last week we noticed that there was somebody from Uganda watching and then I, I just somebody that I've been passing met on, on Facebook. But here, the bottom line is, what does church look like coming out of something like this? And so as I was talking with the staff, as I said, we're talking and we're approaching it kind of like a relaunch. You're kind of relaunching church. Who's going to be there? Barna or somebody was doing a, 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 a poll uh, about a month ago 
maybe three weeks, but um, it was going around pastor's um, post. And the, and the idea was that, you know, we, we couldn't be together, then we came back together, and we could be 25%, and then we could be up to, I think, 50%, and then, um, you know, but still had to, you know, maintain our space. But they were saying that people that were staying home and watching online were falling away from the church and that this poll showed that 50% of the people that were at home watching online weren't home watching online for the last three weeks. That, you know, three weeks or more, they had not been watching any church online. And so we wonder, what is the church going to look like as we continue to move forward? And, and what is that going to mean? And so we're going to have some difficult conversations. What does it mean for us to be the church? We're a vineyard church. A vineyard church is a church that's a part of a vineyard association of churches. We have to ascribe to five different things that they're talking about over in Starting Point right now. And this is what it means for us to be a church. There's, there's a, a, a great, a, a, just a wonderful amount of accountability um, in my relationship to um, my uh, regional leader and things like that. So that's good. Um, just for the record, we are vineyard church number 3,500 and, uh, excuse me, yeah, 3,252. That's our number, 3252. We are the 3,252nd church, vineyard church planted in America. Now, I'd like to think that there are that many vineyard churches in America. There's not. There's about 700. Um, because back in the 70s and 80s, especially even in the 90s, <clears throat> churches were failing at a rate of about 50%. People would start a church, they couldn't grow it up, it wouldn't turn into something, and then, you know, after four or five years, they're tired, they're done trying, and, and it would fall down. And so we wonder today, what does it take for us to be a church? And so I'm going to back up, and I'm going to find myself in Matthew 16 again, and we're going to look in Matthew 16, and this is just a place where um, Jesus is interacting with Simon Peter, they're around Caesarea Philippi, and he's interacting with them, and he's saying, hey... Let's talk about this. I want to ask you a question, Peter. And it begins to unfold. And this is a place where um, Jesus says to Peter that your confession of faith is the rock on which I will build my church. Okay, and remember that this is an Eastern religion. I mean, maybe you didn't know that about Christianity, but it's an Eastern religion. It comes from the East. It comes from Israel. Okay, and that's way East. Okay, and so we want to be aware of that. But here it is in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Just this morning, okay, I'm going to pause for just a second. Just this morning, if I ask you right now, who do you say the Son of Man is? Who, who is the Son of Man to you? Now, Jesus is using that term to refer to himself, okay? He's speaking of himself. But I'm asking you personally, not you as your family, not you as, as a businessman. Not, I'm just asking you, who do you say the Son of Man is? Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? Okay? Don't give me the churchy answer. Don't give me the religious answer. Don't give, you give me the real answer to who Jesus is in your life. Okay? You don't have to say it out loud. What I want to know is, who is, Jesus is asking Peter, who are people saying that I am? And is it showing up in your life? When you say he's my Lord and Savior, because we can say he's the Lord, we can say he's the Messiah, we can say he's the prophet that Moses spoke of in, in, Deuteron in uh, yeah, Deuteronomy 18. He's the one that the Israelites were looking for when they said to him, to Jesus, are you the prophet that was to come? See, they're looking for that, that prophet from Deuteronomy, from Moses, okay? And so as we look at this, who do you say he is? Now, if you say he's the Lord, then I want you to grab a hold of something, okay? Because now we're going to start getting a little itchy. What I want to know is, is he the Lord of your life? I, I don't want you to say he's the Lord of your life. I don't want you to say, yeah, I got baptized when I was seven years old. 
None of that matters. What I want to know is, are you walking with Jesus? What I want to know is, is he your Lord? When you get up and, 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 and say, Lord, thank you for another day, do you say, Lord, you need to do all this for me, or do you say, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? That's the difference. See? If he's our Lord, then he's in charge. If we're telling him what to do, then we're in charge. Now, we might be asking or petitioning, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the question is, is Jesus your Lord? Because that's what it's going to take for you and I if we have the difficult conversation about what does it take to get into heaven. That's what it's going to come down to. As Jesus said in Matthew 7, only he who does the will of my Father in heaven, which means you're in regular conversation with, with Jesus. You are in regular conversation with God saying, what do you want me to do? Do I need to go over there and do that? Do I need to stop doing that? Do I need to buy that? Do I need to sell that? Do I need to help that? Do I need to give that? Do I need to take that? We're asking God all through our day on a regular basis, Lord, you are in charge. I'm following you. You're not following me. So as we replant this church, as we relaunch this church, <clears throat> what does that mean? <clears throat> and I was thinking, you know, a lot of people will come up to me and say, hey, pastor, I feel called, and it really does happen quite often. I, I feel called into church planning. I feel called into leadership. I feel called in, and it's like, okay, what does it take? Because people will ask me this. What does it take to plant a church? If I, if I asked you to fill out a piece of paper, real quick, what are the things, what are the positions, what are the people, whatever it is? What, what do you have to have if, if you're going to plant a church? If you're going to be the one to do it, what, what do you have to have? And as I look at this, to be a church, we have to have leaders. We have to. I really should finish that scripture. You want me to finish that scripture for you guys? You want to back that up? <clears throat> they replied, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, still others say you're Jeremiah. I've often wondered why people would think that Jesus was Jeremiah. Anybody in here ever read, read Jeremiah? That guy is mean, nasty, ugly, and all kinds of things. He does not prophesy anything nice. He's like, some of you are like, oh yeah, he does, he prophesied, I know the plans that I have for you. That is the last couple of verses of a curse, okay, taken out of context. The curse is, you're not going back to Jerusalem, you're going to die in Babylon, so you might as well find spouses for your children, and then I'll take them back after you're buried, because I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. See? And people are like, oh, no, Jeremiah's a good guy. No, Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. He was always like, oh, oh. Why did they think this was Jesus? That he was Je What it tells you is he's not that guy you think he is. Like, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything is all peace. This is a guy, Jesus is a guy that called people names. So the next time, if, if this isn't your church, the next time your pastor calls you a name, just remember, he called other church leaders, Jesus called other church leaders the names too. Now, I'm not suggesting we should all go around calling people names. I'm just saying that sometimes we portray a whole different picture of who Jesus really is. I'm not even dealing with the turning the table over thing yet, okay? We don't even have to talk about that. I'm just talking when you walk around going, you brood of vipers. It's like... Wow, that's some pretty serious stuff coming out of somebody. Man, he didn't have to be that mean on social media, did he? He didn't have to be sarcastic. It's like, well, just for the record, Jesus got a little saucy a couple of times, okay? I've been hunting them up, just for the record, for another time. But just for the record, okay, if we're going to have a church, like the part about finishing it out, Jeremiah, where was I? Jeremiah. 
It's right. Uh, some say you are John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. This is the place where Jesus changes Simon, Andrew's brother, his name to Peter, not Peter the Zealot. There's two Peters in Jesus' 12. Peter the Zealot, okay, or excuse me, Simon the Zealot, and Simon who became Peter, all right, Andrew's brother. So he says, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anybody that he was the Messiah. He was laying out this foundation. Same foundation I want to lay right now. He was laying out a foundation. He says, I want to take you guys deep before I try to go wide. Okay? So don't go tell everybody they're going to come running. I want to take you guys deep. Yesterday, or this morning, excuse me, I woke up early and I was reading in Luke chapter 6, 7, and 8, and I was reading about Jesus calling his disciples to him and then selecting 12. And then it says, and then he turned back and went back to his disciples, and they were many. There was many, many, many disciples, but he had 12 apostles, and so we need to recognize that about Jesus, okay? So I'm back to this. If we're going to plant a church, we have to have leaders, okay? You got to have a leader. That's the way it is. God called Moses, God called Jonah, God called King David, God called Paul, God called, God calls somebody to do a work, and then he surrounds people, uh, or surrounds them with people, with leaders, with leaders who help move that thing forward. But not yes men. Man, only an idiot would surround himself with people that would say, yes, 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 you're so smart, you're so smart, you're so smart. He surrounds himself with people that will bat things around and say, ah, I don't know, disagree with him. Okay? And that's very, very important. And as we look at leaders, what's the most important thing that we want from leaders? We want calling, we want vision, we want leadership ability, we want gathering ability, and we want character and integrity. And I'm going to tell you right now, character and integrity are more important than anything else. Everything else, I believe, can be taught. Character and integrity has to be worked at. You have to want to be a man of character. You have to, be, you have to want to be a person of, of integrity. And I'm telling you uh, um, that, that that's what we're looking for in leadership. Not perfect people. No, 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 no. Not perfect people. Human beings. But we want in, in leadership people that are the same on Sunday morning as they are on Monday morning. The person that you see on Sunday should be the exact same person that goes to work on Monday. And if they're not, the only person they're fooling is themselves because God's not, I mean, it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is how you live, how I live. Do I live as the same person on Monday morning that I speak and act like on Sunday morning? And that's the goal, character, integrity, not perfection. Paul tells Timothy this, here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Let me stop again. Do you understand that it's okay for you to want to be a pastor? You do not have to have some call where you went out and sat in a tree stand during deer season for 40 days and 40 nights and then suddenly you've got this call of God on your life to go plant a church. It, it is entirely okay, according to Paul right here, if you just wake up and you say, you know what, for my life, I would actually like to give my life to increasing the kingdom of God. I think I would like to do that. That is just as valid as any call that anybody else has ever received in their lives. 
because Paul said so, and it's in Scripture. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, a preacher, a, a, a pastor, desires a, no, a bishop, desires, desires a noble task. Now, the overseer has to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with the outsiders, with the not yet believers, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And so once again, we see that character and integrity is what Paul is pointing to. Not perfection. Listen to me, not perfection. Not like I've never made a mistake. Not like I've never sinned. Not like, you know, I'm, I'm the shining example. No. Character and integrity. I, I, I'm learning from my mistakes. I'm standing up. I'm holding myself accountable. I'm owning um, things, and I'm moving forward, but I'm growing. It's that kind of a, of a deal. So we need a leader if we're going to plant a church. We need a worship leader if we're going to plant a church. That's a kind of a leader that we need. And we need a worship leader that's going to take us places that maybe we've never been before. We need a worship leader that will come in here and take us to the throne room of grace because we gather together to worship God. And they lead us in that worshiping of God. And so it's very important that their passions are continuing to drive them closer and closer to God because we want to go with them when they're leading up here. That's, that's why we, it's like we, we just can't hire anybody and say, here, just, you know, get some, just, just get some band people up here if we want to do that. We need people whose hearts are right so that there is a spirit of unity and passion for God coming from here that's taking us to the throne of grace. It's also why the songs that are sung here, if you're paying attention at all, are songs to God and not songs about God. I'm not saying that we won't do something fun once in a while. I'm not saying we won't do a psalm song series. I'm just telling you right now that when we sing songs, have you noticed that we sing to God like he's in the room? Because we believe he's in the room, that he's living, that he's active, not just the word of God, but God himself. And so we need that. We also need a children's minister. We need people that love Jesus and love children. But at the end of the day, let me say this out loud. At the end of the day, if you're a parent, it is your responsibility to lead your children into the knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and use words if you need to. You understand that? Your children are the ones you can't fool. And they are watching you every single day. And on Monday, they wake up with you in the house, and, and Sunday, they went to church with you. Are you the same person? Okay? And so we need children that are willing to help lead our children's ministry. Or excuse me, we need people that are willing to help lead our children's ministry that have a passion for Jesus but want to come alongside of parents and help them raise their children in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're going to work together as a community. That's what we're going to do. You know, um, one more caveat here. It's also your responsibility. Let me say it this way. That sounds really accusing and stuff. Let me say it this way instead. My wife and I always understood it was our responsibility to teach our children to read, to teach our children to write, to teach our children to do arithmetic, and whatever that fourth one is. 
okay? Uh, science, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we always assumed it was our responsibility, all of their growing up days. We were glad when they went to school and some teachers helped shoulder the burden that we had because we had five of them, you know, and it's like all my wife would have done all day long was teach school at home, and I would have starved to death because nobody would have fed me um, because back then I really thought it was her responsibility. That being said, okay, so um, it, it, I just want to put it out there that parents, it really is your responsibility to teach your children, and we have the blessing of public schools or, or private schools that allow us to come alongside of them or them to come alongside of us to assist us in this okay but I said all that to say that we need a children's ministry we've got to have one you know what's kind of crazy is I can't not tell you how many times in the beginning of this church somebody would walk in here with babies and say hey what do you got for my children and if you don't have a children's ministry, it's like you're going to struggle if you want to be a church. We also had a student ministry, but we had volunteers at the time. People would come in and say, hey, what do you got for my teenagers? Because here's the deal. Parents will sit through really bad preaching and really bad church if their kids are, are really getting something out of it. They, they will suffer. Parents are long-suffering, excuse me, where their kids are. They really are. But kids won't. You can't put a child in a bad uh, youth program and, and, and the children will say, I don't want to go here anymore. This is terrible. This is rough. This is hard. This is difficult. And sometimes you just have to tell your children, hey, let's settle down. Life's not about you. Let's just kind of work on this for a while. It's going to be okay. But at the end of the day, we need a children's ministry and we need parents and, and other people, grandparents and, and aunts and uncles, to come on board and say, hey, I want to be a part of this. And we believe that as we, as we uh, call people into leadership in those areas, that um, Paul tells Timothy the same thing. In the same way, deacons who are worthy of uh, respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine and not pursuing dishonest gain, they must keep hold of the deep truths and the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and worthy, or excuse me, trustworthy in everything. And a deacon must be faithful to his wife and uh, manage his children and his household as well. And so what I'm looking at here is kind of the standard for people. And, and, and a lot of people would like to say, hey, um, we, we want to not lose sight of the fact that the church is people, not the building. And, and yes, I do believe, and I'll say it in a little bit, that, that those that would be teachers will be held to a higher standard. But listen, I believe this is a standard that every one of us should be held to honestly I, I I think it is absolutely nuts for people to tell me but we hold you to a higher standard like but it's okay if we sin a little bit you know, it's like well hold on I don't want to be the preacher for a little while then because maybe I'd like to sin a little bit you know maybe, maybe I'd like to do that maybe I'd like to be greedy for a little while maybe I'd like to be whatever it might be but but Instead, we, held, we hold everybody to this standard, and we, we read this scripture, and we say, because we want to raise you up as leaders. It's not about hiring people to do all the doing. Then you're just a consumer. We want to be a community and a community of faith so that when we gather together, we all have a part to play. In Ephesians, Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and said, it is the, the church leader's responsibility to pour into the church to empower them and encourage them to raise them up to do the works of the church. See? So our goal is to see people grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus so we can give them leadership. That's what we want to do. But just understand, and again, I'm not looking at perfection. I'm saying there's got to be a goal for what we're looking for in people. And, and, you know, we might miss some things here, but we're working on them. And so we're continuing to move forward. So, so if you're like, wow, then I just missed that whole thing, back it up. Then you're, you're missing this. Okay? 
As we chase after Jesus, we just have this as the ideal. This is what we're working toward. Now we want to empower and equip the saints to do the work. How can we equip you is the goal. But that has to have, we have to have a goal in front of us, okay? So we've got to have leaders. If we're going to be a church, we have to have a vision. Do you have a vision? Have a vision for your work? Have a vision for your family? Have a vision for where you're going? This is the vision of this church. Our vision is our practical plans for seeing the mission take shape. It's right out of the book that they're reading over in that meeting room. Our vision is, is to become and create a community of people. Um, do you see that? I love that I can do this. To create and become a community of people. Right there, my hand is, yeah, you can't keep up with me. I can read. Okay, I'll, I'll do it. Okay, uh, anyway, to create a community of people. We want to be a community. We don't want to be consumers. You know, we can get big enough and fancy enough and spend enough money to where all you do is come in, sit down, watch the show, and go home. But I'm going to tell you as a pastor, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in empowering people to preach and giving them a chance. I'm interested in, in seeing people sin and helping them walk out of it. I, I'm, I'm interested in finding people don't know there's a God and bringing them in. I'm interested in creating a community. People that come in here that are my friends, that are pastors from other churches, will, will invariably get me right after the, the service and pull me over, right over there by that fire extinguisher. It happens over and over and over again. They'll say, what do you got going on here? And I'll say, what do you mean? They're like, your people won't go home. It's like, I, I don't know what to tell you. In a minute, I'm going to kick him out because I do. And he goes, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And it's like, I just preached twice and I'm hungry. And, and he's like, yeah, but other churches I go into, people don't linger. They don't linger like you do. Because we're trying intentionally to build a community of people. A church community. We want to gather people together. With a leader and with vision, we want to gather people together that, that, uh, that we can be a community. A community of people who? There's a community of people with a vision who seek God in truth and exist in community through faith in Jesus Christ. It has to always be about what does the Bible say about what the Bible says. It has to be about that. And we got to not like see the gospel as clay that we just reform the gospel a little bit till it fits our life. We got to see our lives as the clay and reform our lives to fit the gospel. When we screw up, just get up and ask God's forgiveness. He's going to give it to you. Don't beat yourself up. But we've got to be that community of seeking God in truth. It has to be in truth. And we have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God according to the promise of Jesus in John 14. Man, I thought about that. I want the Holy Spirit. I don't want to know about God. Jesus was raised from the dead, so you know we serve a living God. If we serve a living God, then I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that he wants to speak to you. And I like what James says, you ask and don't have, excuse me, you don't have because you don't ask. James, the brother of Jesus, says you don't have because you don't ask. And I think if you want God to speak to you, it's time to start saying, God, I want you to speak. It's time to get hungry. It's time to get hungry. Like my wife and I, we got up on Thursday and we decided we're going to go to First Watch. Man, go to First Watch. Get there before all those old people do because there is some food. Now, it's going to cost a little bit, so just get one breakfast and split it between the two of you. Okay, I'm a little bit cheap that way sometimes, but I mean, it was good. I want to be hungry for God that way so that I will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. What I don't believe is, is neon lights and taking off my jacket and waving it around over the room and doing all that and everybody falling over, okay? I, I'm just like, what is that? I'm not there, okay? If the Lord wants to take me there, that's fine, but I am not there. 
But I do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit that people will fall over while they're singing. I have been in a place where I saw it. It just wasn't sensationalized. The focus wasn't what was going on. It's what was who we were singing to. That was the important thing. And, and the scripture tells us that we gather together as a church, we do it in an orderly fashion. We just have to understand God's orderly fashion, but still orderly fashion. I still believe in a word of knowledge. I still believe in somebody walking right up here saying, I think the Holy Spirit is saying, sit down, we all need to go home. Okay, whatever it might be the Holy Spirit is saying. But I still believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to do miraculous things because he didn't die. I serve a living God. And so we want to have a vision that says that as a church we want to bring the good news of God's restoration to the poor, the broken, the hurting people in our community, even our world. We will intentionally gather together to worship God. We will intentionally take the message of heaven to the poor, the rich, to our friends and to our enemies as well. We will strive to be a people of peace and prayer and let active love be the evidence that we are here. Often you'll just see it in some of our, our printed material. Saved by grace, motivated by love, and defined by service. We've got to have a vision if we're going to be a church. Our mission statement as well says, um, well, they can be overwhelming and it's hard to understand. Therefore, the mission statement of the vineyard is simple and accessible. We exist to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and see their lives change through the process of discipleship. That's why we are a church of small groups and not a church with small groups, because the process of discipleship takes place in small groups. That's why it's important to us that you're in one, and we want it to be important to you to get into one when we open them back up in the fall, whether it's online or some hybrid form of that, okay? We want to get to know each other. We want to love on each other. We want to care on each other, but we want to grow so that you can be leaders. And, and if we're going to be a church, we need to have volunteers. Churches will not run without. This church is what this church is because of you. Because of you that call this church home, your home. You volunteer. Volunteers came in and put stuff up. Volunteers came in and set the chairs up. Volunteers make sure the chair's in the right area so we can do it. Volunteers come. When you volunteer, things happen. Last week or two weeks ago, um, um, Pastor Janice led a young lady. By young lady, I mean a 23, 24-year-old young lady out there to Jesus, right there in the hallway between the services. It was amazing. Yeah, it was just crazy amazing. She just asked her, she said, why'd you come? She said, I've been coming two weeks. And she said, what's going on? And she said, I don't know. And she said, well, have you ever done this? And she said, no, I've never done that. And she said, well, let me talk to you about Jesus. And she got done and said, do you want to surrender your life to Jesus? And she said, I believe I do. She surrendered her life to Jesus out there. Then she walked in my, life, my office and said, I lady surrendered life to Jesus out there. I just led her to the Lord. <laughs> it's like, for real? And she's like, yeah. And it's like, man, I'm talking to all the wrong people. I need to talk to the people that don't know Jesus yet. I'm talking to the people that go to church, the volunteers that do know Jesus. But at the end of the day, that's what we are to be about. We want to be a community, and we want to continue to do this, and it happens when you volunteer. It happens when you say, yeah, I've got a gift. I can lead. I can talk, I can share, I can build, I can paint, I can take care of children, I can help teach, I can help the, the student ministries out, I can help the college ministry, you know, when it's time, get off the ground, I can do that. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, <clears throat> but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That means the idea that you can be a Christian out there by yourself was never God's plan. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, if that's, your, if that's your line of thinking, if that's your line of thinking, okay, there's a difference between I'm out there or I can't get to church 
health, things like that. I'm talking to people that are just like, no, 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 I can do this. I'm going to question whether or not Jesus lives in you because he said he's going to build his church. Remember, he told Peter that. That means build it together. That doesn't mean throw a brick over there and throw a brick over there. It means put two bricks together. And then he's going to give gifts so that your gift is important to everybody else in here. Your gift is, it doesn't matter what your past is, your gift is important to everybody else in here. And we're supposed to be sharing our gifts together so that we all can grow and be forgiven and move forward. And we're not anchored in our past, okay? I'm focused on my future, and I would encourage you to get there too. Don't be anchored in your past. Be focused on your future. It will keep getting you back up, okay? And so we recognize that God is building a church. We all work together. <clears throat> to be a church, we've got to have teachers. Some people have to be teachers. This is Moses' method of leadership right here in Exodus chapter 18. Now listen to me, his father-in-law says to him. Now listen to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must let the people's be the people's representatives before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach the people, them, his decrees and instructions, and show them that they were to, the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all time, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can handle themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this as, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. That is the method by which, or the structure, excuse me, on which this church is built upon. There is a pastor, there is staff, and then there are lay leaders, 20 or 25 of them that lead our small groups, which is exactly what his father-in-law is talking about. And as we do that, we can minister to almost everybody in here that gets into a small group. And so that's how our teaching or our discipleship takes place. <laughs> that's the structure. Uh, and just for the record, it's the only structure. The, 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 the pastoral staff, um, myself, Pastor Janice, and, and Pastor Jeff, serve as the elders that you will look at in your scripture. You won't find a, a, an example in scripture that says the elders are people that get together once a month and bring the pastor in and chew his behind off and tell him what he's doing wrong and rip him up a little bit and then tell him what he needs to straighten out and then send him back. There is no example of that in scripture at all. None. And yet that is the way that it's done in America. That's the standard. That's the most normal form of leadership in this country. And it's like, where does that come from? It's not there. It comes from trying to say, well, where's our representative in the church council? Where's our representative? It's like, whoa, the church is not a political process. We've got to stop and say, God called Moses, and he did this. God called Jonah, and he did this. God called Noah, and he did this. God called David, and he did this. God calls a person, surrounds him with people that will help the vision go forward, and then they reach out and do the ministry. Okay? That's, that's what we're looking at. And yes, sometimes they screw up. I, I totally get that. I wake up every morning wondering who fell this time that I might know. And it, it gets kind of out of hand. As a church, we're looking for lost and hungry people. I'm going to go through this kind of quickly. Matthew says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hill and go looking for that one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that didn't wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be perished. Now, I've seen that, that passage right there abused so much in the last couple of weeks on, on, on social media. And okay, we're done with that. We'll address that later. But um, th this is about salvation. That's what this is about. Not trying to beat to somebody to death with your personal political party. This is about salvation. 
It's about finding people, and they are welcome to in, the, in the fold of God, and we need to recognize that. As a church, we're looking for lost, hungry people. Understand this. You will find people that are lost, and they think that's the high life. They're out, they're bikers, they're Antifa, they're heathens, they're pagans, they're drug addicts, and on and on and on. And they want you to leave them alone. They're living the life. And when you say, yeah, but I'm, I, I just want you to know Jesus came to save you from hell, they'll say, well, we're all going to go to hell anyway, and we're going to have a big party in hell. Listen, it's not going to be a big party in hell, <clears throat> okay? That, that is not true. But there are people out there that know they're lost, and they don't care. Leave me alone. I don't want what you want. Stop trying to shove Jesus down their throat. Okay, you are wasting your efforts. Secondly, there are some sheep that are lost, excuse me, there are some sheep that are lost and they don't know it. That's why we have evangelistic type meetings. Because people need to be woken up to the fact, oh wait a minute, there is a shepherd? It's possible that I okay, they will come to church. Excuse me. Where am I? Whoa, whoa, whoa. They wandered off. Yeah, these are the ones that will wander off like a basset hound. They don't know they're lost. You have to tell them they're lost. A basset hound will follow off at a rabbit until all of a sudden it doesn't know where it is. You know, you say, Basset Hound, you're lost. And it's like, hey, you're right, I am. And you have to bring the Basset Hound home. We had Basset Hounds in our lives, and so they make a great reference. The other sheep are lost, and they are looking for a shepherd. Some sheep are lost, and they like being lost. They just don't understand. They're going to market. There are some sheep, some sheep that, that are lost, and they don't know it. You need to have a conversation with them. And then there's people that are lost, and, and, and you probably were some of them at one time, and you walked in, and you said, you know what, I need to give my life to Jesus, or I need to get back right with God. And, and so that's where we are. We're looking for people that are hungry for the Lord, and we're trying to wake people up. We're not trying to shove Jesus down anybody's throat. So we're looking for lost and hungry people, and we're looking for people that know that there's more to life. We're on a journey, and listen to me, there are people watching us. And so as a leader, that is why what you say and post on social media, the language you use, what comes out of your mouth, the way you act, the things that you invite people to, the parties that you are willing to participate in, they matter. That's why we don't get drunk. It's why we don't cuss and swear. It's why we don't go to venues that other people might go to. It's why we are discerning about would Jesus want me to be a part of this and we change our lives to fit the kingdom, and we don't change the kingdom to fit our lives. We have to come to God with character and integrity. Second Corinthians says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed this message of reconciliation to us, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making this appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us so that we might be the righteousness of God. Do you understand that you are supposed to be not perfect, but the righteousness of God? That's your calling. We're going to be a church. We're going to relaunch. We're going into the fall. Who knows what school's going to look like? But we have got to be willing to make a difference. So the church needs these things that I've been sharing with you. And you've got to decide what's your part in that. If you call yourself a Christian and you're part of the kingdom of God, what I want to know is what is your part in that in this church or your personal church wherever you go. To be the church, there's got to be transformation. 
The gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to transformation every single time. An invitation to healing, an invitation to reconciliation, an invitation to repentance, an invitation to uh, cleansing, and an invitation to righteousness or right living. Not perfect, but held to a higher standard. All of us, not just the leaders. James, the brother of Jesus, says this about taming our tongues. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's how serious that they took that. When somebody jumps up and says, hey, you know, I want to be the pastor. I want to preach on the stage. I want to do this. It's like, do you understand that you will be judged more harshly, it says in the King James, more strictly, because you had better be getting it right. You have to be. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, out of the same mouth come praise and um, cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. <clears throat> and that's where we're going to end today. We're relaunching this church. We're moving it forward. School's about to start. Things are starting to pick back up for the fall. Fall's coming whether, whether COVID dies or not. Fall's coming. Okay? Because God has seen fit that the seasons will not cease. We still have a mission to do. And that mission is people. It starts with you. And then it goes out from there and out from there and out from there. I've thrown a whole lot at you this morning to lay a foundation. It'll be online and you can watch it over and over. If I said something maybe that you need to wrestle with, and you're certainly welcome to wrestle with it with me. You, you, you are. Ask me questions. Send me emails. We'll, we'll deal with it, okay? We'll deal with it. Um, let's have coffee. Let's sit down and have coffee. Safe distance. I know a shop. I know a place. We can have coffee. Okay, it'll be good. We can answer questions and wrestle. But here's the deal. Are you walking with Jesus? I don't want to know if you got baptized. I don't want to know, um, you know, if, if you said the right prayer. What I want to know is, are you walking with Jesus? Can you call him your Lord? Because that's the way you live in relationship to him. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, only he who does the will of my Father in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, uh, Matthew 7, when he's interacting with some people, the disciples say that who can be saved? Only he who does the will of my Father. It doesn't mean you suddenly become a monk or a priest, but it means you're walking with God. And he speaks to you. And he talks to you. You get into the word because that's the first place that he will begin to speak to you. When you're comfortable with this, you'll start to hear him in other places as well. I serve a living God. He's not done talking to us. He loves us. And if he's not done talking, we have to not be done listening. On Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We've got to be willing to sit down with people, to pray for people, to talk to people, to invite people, and to make a difference in other people's lives. And to not be ashamed, to not be afraid, to tell them why we believe what we believe. That's going to be important. What about you? What's your part in all this kingdom of God stuff? There are people out there that want to pray for you. There's something you're going through, what we've been faced with here with people quarantined, people locked up, children separated from one another. It has been hard on you. It has been hard on families. It has been hard on marriages. It has been hard. It has been. And people are beginning to underestimate the mental toll that it's taking and the emotional toll that it's taking on people. And it's, it, I think it's going to start getting ugly. We're seeing it already. Don't let it be you. 
Don't be afraid to reach out. If you need me, call me. Please, please call me. I'll sit down with you. If you need prayer, there are people right there that would love to pray with you. If you're out there in the, in the audience on the internet, listen to me. At vineyardrichmond.com, there is a button that says chat. People would love to pray with you. They will interact with you. You only have to share as much as you'd like to. But they would like to pray with you. The kingdom of God is moving forward forcefully. And forceful men must lay hold on it. We have to. We have to lay hold of it. And we have to move it forward as well. And I want to encourage you to be thinking about that. What is your part? This lays us a foundation so that I can keep pointing back to it for the next couple of Sundays. We're going to talk about some stuff that I'm going to stick my head in the noose. I hope you still want me to be your pastor when I'm done. I really do. But I, I, I just was waiting for things to calm down. Now I'm going to stick my head in that noose because I think some things need to be said. And so we're going to, we're going to move forward. We're going to have difficult conversations. Fathers, we come before you right now. We thank you for today. We thank you for the blessing of walking with you. Thank you for these people's extra time. Thank you for the way you want to move in our lives. Thank you for what it means to, to keep thinking about this. What does it mean for me to be a Christian? God, please continue to challenge me in this. Please continue. But God, I want you. I want your presence. I want an awareness of you near me. I want to hear you and see you in the word. I want to feel you in the room. I want, to, I want to hear you talking to me about talking to other people. I want to hear you motivating me, God. I want you, and I'm asking, I'm asking, Father, for all of these people here and out there, I'm asking, be our God in a troubling time and help us to introduce other people to you. Thank you for our forgiveness. Thank you for the mercy. Thank you for the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for what it means to be part of your family. God, we release this upon them in Jesus' name.